1 John 4. If you have a Bible, please do get that out um, and follow along. I know we're putting the verses on the screen, but there's nothing like holding a Bible in your lap and using that. So please do follow along in your Bible where you can. 1 John 4, verses 4 through 6 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Verse 4 there, one of the most famous verses in the book of 1 John. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We'll look at that here in a few minutes. Verse 5, they are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The title of the message this evening is this, Whose Team Are You On? Whose Team Are You On? Now, for our grammar Nazis watching in this evening, the proper grammar there would be, On Which Team Are You? Uh, but um, uh, I'm going more with the, the, the more, um, uh, let's see, um, folk way of saying it, Whose Team Are You On? And so uh, we're going to identify the two teams laid out in the book of 1 John, And then we're going to take a few minutes this evening to analyze our life. Are we really on the Lord's team? Uh, Is our lifestyle evident of that? Let's pray. Lord, help us as we uh, dive into these verses and understand uh, what it is you have for us. Lord, apply these truths to our hearts and help us to, uh, Lord, walk away from this message a little bit better than we were before we came. Lord, for some, the information won't be new. For others, there will be a new angle provided. But Lord, for all of us, there will be reminders that are very much needed. And so, Lord, um, may this be a spiritual tune-up for some and an overhaul for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So far in the book of 1 John, we have seen two different teams, if you will. Teams. uh, uh, And what do these two teams do? Well, like any two teams do, they oppose each other. Uh, I... I've I've talked about my high school basketball coaching experience, and uh, I started out 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 of college. I started out working at Rosedale Baptist School. I was a uh, I was a history teacher, a Bible teacher, a math teacher, and then the next year they had me do some of that, and then science. And my favorite part of working at Rosedale Baptist School was not the classroom, but rather the athletic field or court. I was also the athletic director, and I enjoyed coaching. I enjoyed uh, the interacting with uh, with the the kids. In that ministry, I coached the varsity boys basketball team. The second year I was there, I coached the junior varsity boys team. The first year I was there, and then after two years of being in that ministry, uh, the Lord moved us to the south side of Baltimore from the north side of Baltimore, and we began to work at at Granite Baptist uh, Church. And uh, they had a school there as well. And they also had sports teams. And so I took over the responsibility of coaching the girls' varsity basketball team, if not my first year, definitely by my second year. And uh, I had a great time with that. I love competition. I enjoy competition. I, I, uh, I am missing uh, sports not being on TV. And uh, I understand that sports for a lot of people, we'll look at this in a few minutes, but sports for a lot of people have become a god in a lot of ways. And If things are out of balance, they're sin. Even things that aren't sin, when they're taken too far, become sin. And I do believe America has been drunk on sports for a long time. And maybe there is some correcting going on. But nonetheless, I am missing not getting to see 
competition. Competition has been put within our own hearts. It's part of who we are. And listen, I could watch two ants race down the sidewalk and I could pick one to, to cheer on. And I love competition. And we find we find competition within the book of First John. We find uh, uh, we find a tension in the book of First John that goes on between two opposing teams. And so these teams are given different names throughout, but make no mistake, there are only two teams within this book. Sometimes those teams are identified as light versus darkness. In other places within this book, they are identified as love versus hatred. Uh, then they are identified as truth versus error. And then here in 1 John 4, we see the truth versus error, but the theme here in the beginning of the chapter is the spirit of Christ versus the spirit of Antichrist. Darkness, hatred, error, and the spirit of Antichrist are all the same team. Light, love, truth, and the spirit of Christ are all the same team. And so you have light versus darkness, the spirit of Christ versus the spirit of Antichrist. And uh, the message of the book is very clear. If you are light, then you don't walk in darkness, nor do you look like darkness. If you are on team light, then you cannot also be on team darkness. We understand that light and darkness cannot coexist. And darkness is nothing more than the absence of light. And too many Christians are consumed with calling themselves light, but then living like darkness. Calling themselves light, but then having secret sins in the shadows and letting darkness veil uh, their, their, their wrongdoing. Many Christians hail forth truth, but then in, uh, but when they're away from church or they're away from uh, the, those who are Christians, boy, their heart and lifestyle is filled with error. And James identifies this as being double-minded. And John, he throws down the gauntlet. He draws a line and he says, which team are you on? If Christ is your king, then your spirit, or then his spirit rather, should rule your spirit. And you should not allow those who are on the other team to have any influence over what you believe or how you believe. We're all familiar with the story of Benedict Arnold, are we not? He was uh, worked for, or he was part of uh, the Revolutionary War with the American side, and he did not get the recognition he so desired from General Washington. And so when the Brits offered him money to be a spy and uh, to be a traitor to his, his, uh, his, his cause, he took the money. In part, it wasn't about the money. If you know the story of Benedict Arnold, it was more about the recognition. It was more about the fame. But what did he do? He gave up his side. He hurt his side in order for personal gain. Too many Christians are that way. What would you think of a coach who secretly sent over his game plan to the other coach? What if his players found out about that? Too many Christians call themselves light, but then they're flirting with darkness. Too many Christians say they're filled with love and that they're on team love, but then they have hate in their heart towards someone who they can't get along with. And I just want to ask you this evening, which team are you on? So all this makes sense, right? We can understand light versus darkness. We ought to be light. And we ought to be consistently light. 
Love versus hatred, we ought to be love, and we ought to, we ought to love all the time and in every case. Uh, there's truth versus error, and we ought to always be filled with truth, and we ought to always reject error. And uh, there's the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of Antichrist, and we ought to always let the Spirit of Christ uh, 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 reign in our heart and dictate our spirit. All that sounds great. All of that works well on paper. When you go to live it, it's a whole other ballgame. Living this lifestyle and doing it consistently is hard. Why is it so hard to just be on one team? Simply put, two words, the flesh, the flesh. Um, I want to do right, but my flesh does not want to do right. I want to walk in light, but my flesh loves the darkness. I want to love everyone no matter how they treat me. My flesh wants to hate and seek vengeance on those who've done me wrong. I want truth, but my flesh doesn't. My my flesh wants to live in error. I want the Spirit of Christ to reign in me and through me. Oh, but my flesh opposes Christ at every turn. There's another factor here as well. Maybe it's the same factor, but just if I could elaborate a little more. If you were for any amount of time on the other team, then you will find that you have a battle on your hands giving up some of those old sin habits. I'm talking about those who were saved after they had been uh, walking planet Earth for 15 to however many years, 15 years plus. And in those years of your life, boy, you developed some really bad sinful habits. You were really good at being on team darkness. You were really good at being in team hatred and, and team error and team uh, antichrist. And you were really good being part of the fabric of the world and uh, the, the, the fabric of the culture. And boy, you could cuss with the best of them. Uh, you could light someone up with your language. Uh, you would go to a party and you were the life of the party and you were the one buying around for the house. And uh, uh, boy, you were the funnest drunk to be around. And uh, you you uh, you had all the connections and uh, you were you were like the prodigal son in his heyday. Maybe you weren't even the coolest of cool, but you could still let out a string of cuss words when needed. In fact, cussing had become so much of your vocabulary that. When you got saved, you found it hard to quit. You found it hard to lay down those words because they had just become part of the fabric of your vocabulary. Maybe you got saved out of a lifestyle where you were abusing substances, whether that's hardcore drugs or legalized drugs, tobacco, cigars, alcohol, um, a pipe, chewing tobacco, um, Maybe even food, where you were way out of balance with that. And now you are on team light, but your flesh has been so conditioned to living in darkness, you find it hard. You've been saved for two, three, four years, and you still cuss when you get into a tight spot or a tough relationship battle. Uh, You've been saved for 10, 15 years, but you can't seem to lay down the cigarette. Then there's others who struggle with, with secular music. They, they listen to, to 
hardcore rock and roll, maybe heavy metal, uh, rap music, um, R&B, hip-hop, pop culture music. You say, Pastor, how do I know if my music is sinful? And I'll save the debate on, uh, on uh, the music itself, but let's just talk about the message that's laced within the, the music of the world. I, I'm going to stick just to that this evening. The world's music, secular music, is filled with an agenda of glorifying sin, self, and sexuality. That's what the world's music does. Sin, self, and sexuality. Uh, let's, just, let's just ask an honest question this evening. Is that team truth or team error? Is that team love or team hatred? Is that team light or team darkness? You say you, you, you claim to be on team light, but what are the presets on your radio station in your vehicle? You claim to be team light on Sunday, and then on your way home from church or on your way to work on Monday, the music that's coming into your ears, what is it glorifying? What is it glorifying? Maybe it's your old friends. You got saved out of a lifestyle where you had lots of friends. And some of these are almost like kin to you. Brothers and sisters. They're very close to you. Maybe not literally brothers or sisters, but they feel that close to you. And you think, I'm saved now, but they're not. And how am I just supposed to sever those ties? In our passage in 1 John 4, the author asks us a question. Oh, not directly, but, but he does ask this question. Uh, you can read this question between the lines of the passage. And here is the question. Christian, whose team are you really on? Are you on Team Jesus or are you on Team Anti-Jesus, Anti-Christ? The question is not which team do you verbally identify with. But which team does your actions tell your Savior and those who you know that you are on? I propose that you can overcome a spirit of Antichrist in every corner of your life. We hear that word Antichrist, especially right now with everything going on in the world. We talked about this morning sitting up here uh, around that table. We talked about does the virus mean that we're coming to the end and Jesus' return is near, and I'd say we're a day closer uh, than we were yesterday. But does this mean that Jesus is coming uh, is, is, is right around the corner? Are we right at it? I believe personally that we are. But again, as I stated this morning, preachers have felt that way going all the way back to Paul. Paul felt that way. We have no way of actually knowing the day or the hour of his return. But I will say this, that word antichrist, while it makes us think of the antichrist, can I tell you, there are corners of my heart where I battle with antichrist every day. There, there is a spirit of antichrist that bows up in my flesh and opposes what Christ wants me to do. My challenge to each of us this evening is simple. If you are on Team Jesus, then be all the way in. Be all the way in. Don't be a traitor to your Savior. Don't be a traitor to your team. We're going to look at three verses and two principal thoughts this evening as we consider this question, 
Whose team are you on? Principal thought number one. Here it is. Number one, the Christian, the Christian's family. The Christian's family. Uh, we're going to begin here in, in verse uh, number four. Uh, and look with me at letter A, our victory. Our victory. It says there, ye are of God, little children. And notice this next phrase, and have overcome them. And have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who or uh, what exactly have we overcome? Well, go back to verse 3. Again, we looked at this last week. But if you're just joining us and you weren't here last week, or maybe you need a reminder, let's go back and look at verse 3. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit, that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So uh, what is it that we're overcoming? We are overcoming the spirit of of Antichrist. We're overcoming the spirit of Antichrist. Make no mistake, we are at war with a spirit. We are at war with an attitude that is anti or against Christ and what Christ desires. While this spirit can be seen uh, within an individual from a larger sense, this spirit is felt. It is felt all around the world. It can be seen uh, in our government. It can be seen in almost every institution around us, from learning institutions to, uh, again, our governmental institution, even down to the way that families are being structured today, what you find is there is a spirit of Antichrist that is being pushed on us and being made popular in every way. It used to be that the husband was the breadwinner and the wife was the home taker and her main concern was raising the kids. You say, Pastor, if you still hold to that, you need to get out of the 1950s. And I'd say, no, if I'm going to hold to that, I need to get out of the Bible. That is God's plan. Now, I'm not against women working. I'm not against women having a job. I'm not against women helping their husband make money. But I have told my wife, and my wife agrees with this, that her first responsibility is to take care of me and the children. And their second uh, uh, idea would be to help make money for our home. Uh, And so that is God's plan. If you don't believe me, hop in the Bible and study it and come back and challenge me. What has happened? Now you turn on the TV and you get to a commercial and it's the husband making dinner in front of the stove and the wife coming in the door from work that's that's those are our commercials today what is being pushed is a spirit of antichrist a spirit of antichrist everything that god wants satan hates everything that god desires for us satan desires the opposite and he pushes it down our throat and you know what he's beginning to win little battles all around our culture This is the spirit Christ has called the Christian to overcome. In fact, if you look at verse 4, it says this spirit of Antichrist, it says, and have overcome them. Now, make no mistake about it, we are at war. We are at war. But this is not a war against flesh and blood. This is not a war against any one individual. While you might see the spirit of Antichrist 
coming forth out of a person, coming forth out of an individual, it is much larger than that one individual. It is from Satan on high. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but rather against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, uh, I have seen some Baptists, but many, uh, but rather, it, it, this is more prominent amongst our Pentecostal friends, and they get fearful about Satan and what he can do to Christians. Again, First John 4, 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, and have overcome them. Boy, I've heard Christians talk about being afraid of, of, of having darkness and uh, making sure every light in your home is on and being careful about the colors that you wear or allow uh, uh, to be wore around you. And you have to be careful about what you say because you might bring an evil spirit down upon you to oppress you. And listen, I, I, I'm not, the purpose of the sermon tonight is not to get into a study on demonology. I, I do think that demons can oppress, not possess, but oppress Christians. But let me just say to you, we don't need to walk around with the spirit of fear over what Satan and his forces can do. That spirit of Antichrist that is demonic, the Bible doesn't say that you will overcome them. It says, have overcome them. How do we overcome them? Look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 5 with me. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? It is a foregone conclusion that if you are a child of God, you are part of the family of God, you're part of the Christian family, it is a foregone conclusion that you have already overcome the spirit of Antichrist from an eternal perspective. But the question is how? How do we overcome that? Before I give you letter B, let me just say, if it was left up to me and my flesh to overcome the spirit of Antichrist, I've got zero shot. I've got zero chance. How do we do it? Letter A, we saw our victory. Letter B, notice the victor. The victor. Go back with me to 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4. The Bible says, Year of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who is it that lives within us? You know the answer, don't you? It's the Holy Spirit of God. When I was a boy, we learned this verse, a portion of this verse, as a scripture song. And so I'm going to sing it for you here. Maybe you know it. If you know it at home, sing along with me. Uh, it goes like this. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. What a great reminder of the power of the Holy Spirit of God. This is who lives inside of us. To be clear, I cannot, I hope you're hearing me on this. I cannot tame my flesh and its desire to betray my Savior. Intellectually, I understand my calling as a Christian. Spiritually, I understand my responsibility to say no to sin. But if it's left up to this guy right here to overcome that sin and to live the way Jesus wants me to live, I'm not going to be able to do it. If you're um, a child watching tonight or a young Christian watching tonight, regardless of your age, you've only been saved for a short time. 
And this may apply even to some Christians that have been saved a long time, but specifically to those who are younger in the Lord. Let me just share with you my own personal journey. I I spent into my late 20s, early 30s believing that if I tried real hard, I could tame my flesh and be a good Christian. I believed that somehow I was capable, I was capable of becoming a good Christian all by myself. And I'm going to tell you what I found is that those sin habits that were in my life, some of them had such a stranglehold on me, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. The Bible doesn't say greater is, greater is me that is in, within me than he that is in the world. The Bible says greater is he that is within me. Who is the victor? The Holy Spirit is the victor. He is great enough to give you the victory, but only if you follow his lead. Romans chapter 8 verse 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You see, Jesus told the disciples uh, his last days on earth, he said, I have to go away, but I'm going to leave for you the comforter, uh, the the advocate, the, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who will lead you and guide you into all truth, John 14 tells us. So who is this Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that has the power to take us from habit living that's darkness into habit living that's light. You say, Pastor, there's this individual in my life, and no matter how much I pray, no matter how hard I try, I just can't love them. And I would say, you're right, you can't. Greater is he that is in thee than he that is in the world. You can't do it. But the Spirit of God can love them through you. You have to submit. As long as you're going to follow the hateful feelings of your flesh, you have no chance. You say, Pastor, I just can't get all the way on board with this idea of New Testament Christian living. And I would say, then you are trying to be spiritual and carnal at the same time. And it doesn't work that way. You know what happens if you ride a fence? You're going to fall on one side or the other eventually. I want to highlight a quote here for you. And um, it won't be on the screen, but if you have a pencil or pen and paper, I'd encourage you to write this quote down. The problem isn't that God's spirit isn't sufficient, but rather that our flesh is too stubborn. The problem isn't that God's spirit isn't sufficient, but rather that our flesh is too stubborn. Do you know why it is that the spirit of Antichrist continues to bow up within me in certain areas? You know why it is I can't seem to get out of the corner of darkness in some areas of my life or uh, why I can't steer clear of error and, and live in truth? Because my flesh is stubborn. You show me an area, you show me an area where you can't get victory, and I will show you an area where your flesh is not yielding to the Spirit of God. If that's the only thing you get out of the message tonight is a strong realization that your flesh is too stubborn to let the Spirit of God win, then my friend, that is a great wake-up call for you and is a great uh, entry point into victory. When I behave as God's child and I live within His family, what happens? 
I submit to his rules and his order. And the Spirit of God bows up within me and gives great victory in areas I never thought possible. There was a, uh, this will fit in with my sermon this morning as well, an illustration that fits with both. There was a family that I became very close to in my time in Hagerstown. And I won't use their names. Um, I think occasionally people from there watch our service here, so I'll be very careful. But I became very good friends with the husband. And I was very good friends with many, many families in that church, but I became good friends with the husband. His wife had been deeply, deeply hurt and offended by her mother-in-law. Deeply hurt. Attacked. In fact, the whole family had uh, risen up and gone on to Facebook and just ripped her to shreds and tore her apart over, in my opinion, something that she had not done. It, it hurt the relationship so bad that this husband and wife cut off contact with that side of the family. They lived in the same town, and they only lived a few miles apart. But they cut off contact altogether with that family for years. There was a bitterness and a hatred that began to grow in that wife's heart because of the way she had been defamed and mistreated. It was a cancer growing within her, and it was beginning to hurt not only uh, not only her, but it was beginning to infect and, and be that root of bitterness that was defiling other relationships. The husband and I talked about it at length many times. And he told me, he said, I love my mom and dad, but I know I know the shortcomings of my parents, and I know my wife is right. He said, I want so bad for my children to have a relationship with my parents, but at this time, it's not going to happen. He said, I don't see a way out of this problem. Boy, it had gotten so bad that Christmas presents and birthday presents would get dropped off at the doorstep only to be put in boxes and mailed back as not wanted. Hatred and anger filled the situation. Boy, me and that dear brother, we chose a day each week. We began to fast and pray that God would do a miracle in the life of everyone involved, in the hearts of those involved. And about three or four months into that fasting one day a week, Boy, the, uh, the walls came down. And miraculously, the relationship was healed. Boy, it took, it took a while for that wife and that mother-in-law to really rebuild their relationship. But they both made a commitment to learn from their mistakes. Hugs were given. Forgiveness was given. You know what happened? The flesh wanted to hate. But if I'm going to be God's child and I'm going to live in his family, I'm not allowed to hate. I must walk in God's love. Victory was gained because this woman and her mother-in-law both submitted to the Spirit of God. Victory was gained by the victor, the Spirit of God. Number one, we see the Christian's family. Number two, we see the Christian's foundation. The Christian's foundation. Letter A, we notice an earthly religion. Look with me at 1 John chapter 4, verse 5. They are of the world. Speaking of the spirit of Antichrist. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world. And the world heareth them. Back in chapter 3, John talked about Cain. And it describes him as the wicked one. The wicked one. 
Was Cain not religious? Yes, Cain was very religious. But his religion was based on what made his flesh feel good. The truth is, humans worship. Everyone does it, and everyone worships with regularity. You say, oh, I got family. They never go to church. I'm telling you, your family that never goes to church, your friends that never go to church, your friends that take God's name in vain regularly and live a, a horrible lifestyle, even they worship. We all worship every day. Uh, we, uh, some worship themselves. Some worship other people, such as sports stars and music stars. I saw a ridiculous video sometime back, back when Justin Bieber was at the top and uh, of the charts and everyone was swooning over Justin Bieber and somebody went out on the street and they interviewed these teenage girls and said, uh, uh, what do you think should happen if Justin Bieber were to park in a handicapped parking spot and make an old lady park further down uh, the parking lot? Should he be given a ticket? And these girls said, oh, no, no, he should not be given a ticket. In fact, because he's Justin Bieber, he should be allowed to park wherever he wants. The ridiculousness of this. What happens? Some people worship themselves. Uh, some people worship others. They put people up on a pedestal. The show American Idol, the very name describes a show that is sinful. We are not to have any idols before us, whether they're a block of wood or stone or a person. Uh, some worship the earth. Pastor Morales mentioned this this morning, how there are people who just worship Mother Earth and worship Mother Nature. Romans 1 talks about this, how they worship the creation more than the creator. And we're to be good stewards of the earth, but we're not to worship the creation. We're to worship the creator of the creation. Some worship their work, um, like Cain did. You know why he brought an offering of fruits and vegetables? Because it represented himself. It represented his hard work. More about that in a minute. And then some worship material goods. Only a small percentage of humanity ever truly worships God. And even a smaller percentage of that crowd worship him the way that God actually desires. And with the regularity that God desires. If I could take that list of self, other people, uh, the planet, um, work, material goods. If I could take that list and I could boil it all down to one. I would say that the world's religion is this. It's worshiping one's self. Worshiping one's self. This is called humanism. Humanism is the world's largest religion by far. There are Christians who struggle with humanism. This is the spirit of Antichrist. This is the spirit which we must overcome. This spirit, according to verse 5... This spirit is voiced with its own vocabulary and its own broken mentalities. Let me take a minute here and just say that I could preach on communication. Because verse 5 talks about what we speak and what we hear. What the world speaks and hears. I could take time to preach on taking God's name in vain and cussing. And I could take time to talk about telling dirty jokes. And uh, I could take time to talk about complaining and lying and all of the sins of the mouth. I don't believe that that's what verse 5 is addressing here. 
I believe what verse 5 is addressing here are religious systems that, that operate under the spirit of Antichrist. Now, there are two groups of religious systems I want to warn us of against this evening. Uh, one religious system is one that messes up the doctrine of Christ. We've talked about that. And a few months ago, when we were in First uh, John, uh, I believe, chapter 3, we looked at, uh, or rather a few weeks ago, we looked at uh, uh, the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons and the Muslims and all of these groups and what they do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's that crowd of Antichrist that have messed up who he is and what he does. We even referenced that a little bit last week when we looked at the doctrine of Christ and what the real thing is versus error. But let me warn uh, all of you listening in this evening, I believe there is another spirit of Antichrist that you're more likely to succumb to than converting over to Mormonism or a, a cult such as the Jehovah's Witnesses. What is this spirit of Antichrist? It is a church that preaches the right gospel message, but uses fleshly means to appeal to people to get them into church in a way that is way out of balance. I'm talking about folks who I've met who'd say, yeah, pastor, I'd come to your church, but I don't care for the singing. And they're not talking about the, the, the quality of singing. They're talking about the type of song. Well, they want something where they can stand up and have an emotional experience. I'm talking about churches that uh, uh, use uh, uh, a theatrical-type display week after week after week. They don't have an altar for people to come and kneel and get their heart right. No, uh, it's built like a stage that encourages people to stay back and, and, and come and, and, and consume our content, not grow in the Lord. And my friend, if a church is using fleshly methods to grow, that church is out of bounds. That church is out of balance. Romans chapter 7 and verse 18 says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. A foundation that is built on earthly, on an earthly religion is a faulty foundation. Boy, you better be careful before you up and switch churches looking for a church that makes your flesh feel better. There are people that uh, don't like when I preach on certain topics and they get their feelings hurt. They don't like getting their toes stepped on. I, look, one way of knowing whether or not you're going to the right church, if you never, if you, if you never feel uncomfortable from the preaching, if the preaching doesn't occasionally touch on topics that you struggle with, if, if you don't ever walk out feeling like you got your toes stepped on here and there, uh, then my friend, you really need to reevaluate the church you attend. Churches that have pastors that want to do nothing but give you a motivational speech week after week. I addressed this last week, but uh, uh, listen, it's not that what they say is always wrong. It's that what they won't say. It's what they won't preach against. In earthly religion, let her be an eternal relationship. What is the proper foundation? Well, an earthly religion is the wrong foundation. But Christian, God has called us not to find religion but to find relationship. Look at verse 6 of 1 John 4. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. If you go back to verse 4, you find that John says, ye are of God. And then here in verse 6, we are of God. Do you see the emphasis Put here on uh, uh, who you belong to, on your spiritual heritage. Uh, if you are saved, then you belong to, you are property of God. As I get to know God, 
and he gets to know me, and that relationship grows and develops, there's an enlightenment towards spiritual truth and error that I gain. Sometimes I'll have a new Christian come up to me and say, Pastor, what's wrong with this? And I have to be careful how I answer that question. Especially if there's room for ambiguity in Scripture on the topic. Pastor, I've noticed that the church doesn't do this. Or I've noticed that the church does do this. Does this mean that that is wrong or that that my action is wrong? And oftentimes I'll look at a new Christian and I'll tell them this. I'm not going to answer that question for you. You must get to know God on a deeper level, and he must show you in your heart what is right and wrong. Why? As I get to know the Lord, he reveals to me and he'll review to you a clear understanding of truth and error. You know, there have been times in my life where if you would have walked up to me and said that a certain thing was a sin, I would have laughed and said, you're crazy. That is, there's no way that's a sin. There are things, actions in my life that, uh, that I do now or I take now that I didn't take 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I wasn't participating in 10, 15 years ago. And, and, and someone, if someone would have walked up to me and said, you're not doing this, you're sinning because you're not doing this, I, I don't know that I would have laughed in their face, but I wouldn't have agreed with them. As my relationship with Jesus Christ has deepened, God has said, let me give you a little bit deeper understanding of truth and error. You see the difference? I can be part, uh, I can have a foundation under my feet of religion. Rules, 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 and do this and don't do that. Unfortunately, plenty of Baptist churches have been built that way. We throw stones at the Catholics because, hey, you know, uh, you follow these set of rules and you'll get into heaven. And we may not say you get into heaven by them, but God will only love you if you do this. We may not use those words, but boy, we sure make people feel that way. And what are we pushing on people? Religion. Now, there is a right and wrong way for you to live. And God does care that you live the right way. But you don't get there by following a set of rules. You get there by walking with God. Christian, how sweet is your devotion time? How much do you read your Bible? How sincere is that time? Is it filled with distractions? Is it a checklist? I read my three. Maybe you use a, a Bible reading plan and, oh, I got through the plan today and so I'm, I'm spiritual. It's not about fulfilling some obligation. It's about God speaking to you and you speaking to him. You know, there have been times where I've read ten chapters before I really felt that the Lord spoke to me. And then there have been times where I've not been able to get past one verse because God was working on my heart. There have been times where I've prayed for an hour before I felt like I really got hold of God. There have been times where 15 minutes was enough because, boy, God and I connected right away. And as I walk with God, as I have this eternal relationship with Him, what I find is that I have a deeper understanding of the Scriptures as well. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. 
Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Why? Because they don't have the Spirit of God living within them. The Bible is a spiritual book. And uh, you can understand it from a history standpoint. You can understand it from a knowledge standpoint as a lost man. You cannot understand the Bible as a spiritual book unless you have the Spirit of God living within you to help you do that. As I walk with God, as I spend time with God, this eternal relationship shows me how to overcome the spirit of Antichrist. That spirit of Antichrist that, because of my flesh, still even dwells within me and you. As I walk with God, again, look at verse 6. Here by the end of the verse, hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. How do we know? How do we have that discernment? Well, because as we spend time with God, he gives us that discernment. He gives us that discernment. I don't want to be a hobby horse preacher. I know I say this a lot. How's your walk with God? Christian, how's your prayer life? Is your time in this book sweet? Or have you neglected it and walked away? Is it hit or miss? You say, Pastor, I can't overcome this sin. You show me your devotion to your walk with God and your submission to His Spirit. I promise you, you can overcome any sin. I promise you. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. How about it tonight, Christian? Are you going to lay down your hands and quit fighting? Are you going to let His grace be sufficient? You're going to let your flesh be too stubborn for his grace to win out. Really, the choice is ours, isn't it? Lord, I ask tonight you'd help drive these truths home to our heart. Lord, any good relationship is built on good habits. The habits of living within your family. The habit of communicating with you. Loving you and letting you love us and letting you love others through us. Walking in the light and not being a traitor to that calling. Oh, how important it is. Lord, we don't give up cussing in order to get you to love us. We give up cussing because you love us. We don't change our music habits. We don't change our, our sin habits in order to gain your favor, Lord, because we have your favor, these are things that happen on their own as we spend time in the culture of your family. Lord, help us each tonight to identify the spirit of Antichrist that our flesh continues to push on us. Where the flesh is winning, help us to bow the knee to the Spirit of God and let him reign supreme. Lord, help somebody tonight to have a breakthrough moment where they see what exactly it is they need to do in order to get their Christian life back on track. Help us tonight to decide to be on the right team and all the way in. In Jesus' name.